0: Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning. Good morning, wonderful to see you all. Uh, Can I encourage you, if you're uh, in the room and you've brought a Bible to pull it out, uh, if you've not, pull out your phone and open up your Bible app, Uh, and if you're at the home, why don't you, at the home, at your home, uh, why don't you do the same, why don't you find a Bible and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, and I'll do the same. We're going to be continuing uh, looking at this book, seeing what God has to say to us through it. We're going to start reading from verse 1. Chapter 4, and we're going to go to verse 14. So, Nehemiah 4 says this. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said... What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they with restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite who was at his side, said, What are they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God. For we are despised, turn their insults back on their own heads, give them over as plunder in a land of captivity, do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their hearts. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, uh, where am I? The Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. As we turn to God's words, shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you use it to speak to us, to encourage us and challenge us and shape us and to make us look more like your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that it would be so this morning. Shape us into the likeness of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. There's uh, an idea in storytelling called the hero's journey. Uh, And it's a, a form of narrative that crops up in almost every story. Uh, that you will come across, Uh, whether it's a historical narrative like Nehemiah that we're reading at the moment, uh, or something fictional like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, any of those. These are all examples of the hero's journey. And that is to say they all follow a rough, basic pattern. They begin uh, with the hero being called out on a mission, and being sent into the unknown, into a new future full of new possibilities. And this is what we've seen so far in the book of Nehemiah. If you've been tracking with us so far, the first three chapters uh, tell the story of, of Nehemiah seeing and responding to the, the, the terrible situation Jerusalem found itself in. And so he, he went out, he went into the unknown to rebuild the wall. Uh, That had fallen down, had been destroyed when Judah were taken into exile. Uh, But the next step in the hero's journey is a turn, it's it's a downwards turn where the, the hero of the story, the main character, faces opposition. They face struggle and trials and difficulty, and they have to push through in order to make it to their destination. And that's what we've reached in chapter four of Nehemiah. We've reached the downward turn of the story uh, where he comes up against opposition. And you know, the reason I think the hero's journey is such a universal form of story, the reason that we see it everywhere is that, it, is that it's so true to our human experience. So true to what you and I go through as we live uh, our lives, isn't it? Because as we journey from where we are to where we're meant to be, when as followers of Jesus Christ, we step out in faithfulness to Jesus, going where he leads us, the road is rarely, if ever, smooth, is it? Along the way, As we go on this journey of life, we find ourselves facing hiccups and roadblocks and opposition. The story takes a downward turn. And so, the question that this raises and the question that Nehemiah 4 begins to answer for us is what are we to do in the face of such opposition? What do we do when the story turns downwards? How do we respond to opposition and challenges faithfully? with wisdom as our saviour Jesus Christ would have us respond when this chapter what we see is a theme developed that we've been picking up this morning that God has been speaking to us already when we face opposition what we are called to do is to trust and that trust looks like trusting and praying and it looks like trusting and acting And I want to spend our time together thinking about those things. But before we jump into trusting and praying, trusting and acting, I just want to spend a moment thinking about what opposition might look like for you and for me. Because in Nehemiah, the opposition is really clear, isn't it? in the face of the prospect of god's people rebuilding their defenses rebuilding the wall of their ruined city sanballat and tobiah gather the enemies of israel these nations that are listed surround jerusalem so so tobiah and, and sanballat they gather all of god's people's enemies and they begin this this program of harsh mockery and ridicule. And it very quickly turns and descends into promises and plans for violence to stop them going where God had called them to go. Nehemiah and God's people were facing the the opposition of persecution. Uh, But if we're realistic, persecution is not something that most of us, most of the time, face today in the U.K., But that doesn't mean that we don't face other forms of opposition. In fact, I want to really quickly suggest five other ways that we come up against opposition as we follow Jesus in our lives. Firstly, we face challenge. Nehemiah knew this as well. The task that was ahead of God's people was genuinely difficult. Even if there was no persecution, rebuilding the wall was going to be a struggle. Next is hopelessness. We see, don't we, that the workers at the wall begin to lose hope. They they can't see a way through to the other side, to the goal that they had set their sights on. And so they lose hope and motivation. They begin to give up. They face hopelessness. Thirdly, we might face uh, apathy. You you and I uh, perhaps... Uh, This is more normal for us today uh, in the UK. We don't face persecution, uh, but we do face people just not caring. People uh, who aren't interested or don't take seriously the calling that we're pursuing in the world to be faithful to Jesus. Fourthly, we face attack. And by that, I mean to say that the Bible says that you and I have an enemy, that we fight not primarily against people but against spiritual forces that work against us. The Bible says that this enemy doesn't want to see God's plans or God's uh, people succeed. And so we face attack and finally we face internal opposition. Now I don't know about you, but if I think about the roadblocks that I stumble across in life, they're usually things I've put there myself. I am probably my own worst enemy and that's because there's sin in my heart and in my life the bible says elsewhere that we do the things that we don't want to do and we don't do the things that we do want to do and in doing that we we make the way more difficult for ourselves we oppose the journey that we want to put ourselves on and so opposition can take on many Forms, persecution, challenge, hopelessness, apathy, attack, and internal opposition. Can I be, can I be honest with you that this morning? I, I've really struggled this week. I've not had the best uh, week. Um, I've uh, I've just been feeling really overwhelmed this week. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, but it has not been an easy journey for me getting here uh, to Sunday morning to speak to you, particularly looking at this passage. I found it really challenging and as i reflect on on that list of the things that oppose us it is probably a cocktail of of challenge and and hopelessness and attack and and probably internal opposition that has just made this week a difficult week for me and yeah, maybe your week has been similar maybe you're not coming into sunday morning standing in victory maybe your year has been the same I mean, maybe opposition could be a banner over where you've been these last, however many months it's been. Maybe as you reflect, you realize you're struggling forwards, and you find yourself wondering, is this what life with Jesus should look like? Should it be so hard? Should I be struggling? Well, if you're feeling that way this morning, you're not alone. You're not alone in the struggle or the challenge. God's word never makes us think that we won't face opposition. That is normal for the disciple of Jesus Christ. And in fact, what it does, rather than try and pretend like life will be easy, it gives us resources to face the opposition. Not to do away with it, not to make it disappear, but to face it faithfully and with Wisdom. That's what Nehemiah 4 shows us. That's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah faces opposition, and so he steps into it in a godly way. And what he does is he trusts and prays, and trusts and acts. So, firstly, we are to trust and pray. Uh, Look with me at verse 4. If you've still got your Bibles open, do turn there. If you've not, Because in verse 4, what we see is Nehemiah's kind of immediate gut reflex, his response to what he's going to do when he faces opposition. This seems to be what most naturally and immediately comes out of him. And I think, amazingly, his first instinct is to turn to God in in trust and to reach out to him in prayer. Let's read verse 4. The passage suddenly pivots and we hear Nehemiah praying, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Catch with me what Nehemiah does in this prayer. Because he is brutally... And uncomfortably, isn't he, clear and honest about the situation? He recognizes that his enemies, the people who are standing against him, are, are genuinely in the wrong. He recognizes that what they deserve is justice for their sins to be brought to light. And he's really honest. You know, he doesn't struggle with this kind of reserved approach to God in prayer, but he he honestly Fully tells God what he desires to happen. He says, bring justice on my enemies. But essentially what Nehemiah does is that he recognizes that it isn't his responsibility to make sure that his enemies get the justice that they deserve. He doesn't turn to plotting his revenge or planning violence or or coming up with his own smear campaign. Now, Nehemiah goes to the God that he knows he can trust, whose desire for perfect justice Nehemiah knows is even greater than Nehemiah's desire, and who has the power to work all things for the good of those who love him. He turns to this God who can bring history to its proper and good destination, and Nehemiah trusts him. And so he prays honestly, completely unfiltered, laying out his feelings and his situation and his desire before the God who he knows will hear him. You know, and it's this sort of transparent realness that God invites his people to come to him with time and time again, particularly perhaps when they face opposition, when they face struggles, If you're not convinced by that, spend the next month reading through the book of Psalms and what you will see is time and time again, uncomfortable prayers of God's people reaching out to him, longing for uh, God to move in their situations. So whatever situation you're facing, whether it's your own sin that has messed up your journey, if you're your own worst enemy, or, or whether you're facing genuine difficult painful overwhelming challenges the witness of the bible time and time again is that we can turn to our loving heavenly father honestly and we can trust him to hear our struggles and to work powerfully and lovingly for our good and for his glory and so the challenge the the question the The invitation to you and to me is this. Have you trusted God enough to pray? Have you trusted God enough to honestly go to him with the situations that you're struggling with and to lay them out before him and ask him to work? Have you gone to God? Um, George Mueller was a minister and evangelist who lived in the 19th century in Bristol. Uh, And he understood that he could pray to God like this. At that time in uh, England, uh, there was a real problem with orphans because uh, there was extreme poverty uh, and adult mortality rates were very high. And so there were uh, loads of orphans, far more uh, than the state had interest or capacity to care for. In fact, at that time, it was thought that in the entire UK, there were 3,600 places uh, to care for orphans. And Mueller decided that God was calling him to do something about it, despite the huge challenge that stood before him. But what was remarkable about how Mueller approached this work was was how how he did it. Because, Because George Mueller was convinced that he prayed to a God who hurt him and who was powerful to respond and act in the world. He believed in a God and trusted in a God who was capable to do above and beyond what, what he himself was capable of doing. And so, and so George Mueller never asked for money. He never uh, did a, a, a campaign to raise funds for his project to care for orphans, but instead he prayed, and, and he trusted that God would work in him and through him. He prayed that the plight of orphans would be changed in the United Kingdom. And by the end of his life, he had housed, clothed, fed, and educated over 10,000 orphans uh, in five brand new care homes that he built. And he had raised over 100 million pounds without ever asking for a penny. Mueller transformed England's attitude towards Orphans, he transformed the story of tens of thousands of people through trust and through prayer. But he didn't stop there. Neither should we, and neither did Nehemiah, because having trusted and prayed, Nehemiah trusted and acted. In fact, much of chapter 4, if you go and read the whole thing, much of chapter 4 is given over to detailing the proactive steps that Nehemiah took to rebuild the wall. Because first he prayed, and then he went to organize the workers. He clearly didn't expect God to act like some divine on-demand service where a quick prayer would go in and an easy answer would come out. And so what he did is he split the people into workers and into soldiers. And he made sure that each person uh, was armed and ready to defend themselves. In fact, verse 9 sums it up perfectly. It says this, We prayed to our God and posted a guard by day and night to meet this threat having trusted God and gone to him for help. Nehemiah then looked at the resources, the skills, the opportunities that God had already given him and went to work with godly wisdom and determination to get to the destination God was calling him to. And and that's because Nehemiah understands that God gives his people the dignity of participation. Participation. God doesn't just make you and me passive observers on the sideline of our lives, but he invites us to play our part, to be a genuine part of the story. It was the same with George Mueller. He trusted God and he prayed and then he went to work feeding orphans, wisely managing his money and joining in with God, the God who he knew would bring about goods as he worked. So I don't know what opposition you're facing. I don't know if it's internal or external, if you're swamped by it or if you're doing okay. And please hear me, the last thing that I want to do this morning is to trivialize your struggles. I'm not here to pretend like I have an easy way out for you or a quick fix that you can apply to make everything okay again. I don't have that for you. But I think what God offers us is something better because I do believe that God can be trusted to be good to us. Whether that's through supernatural and unexpected provision or through profoundly natural and perhaps forgotten about capacity and kindness and generosity that God gives us and shows to us. So what capacity has God already made you with What resources has he put at your fingertips? What relationships has he given you that you can depend on? How can you exercise the wisdom that he offers to work through you by his Holy Spirit? Nehemiah 4 reminds us to trust and to ask for more and then to step out in faith, to take a step in the journey ourselves From where we are, trusting that God wants to write us into the story of our lives and of the world that he loves. I believe that God wants to be good to us in unexpected ways and that God has already been good to us and so invites us to step out. And the reason I believe this is because ultimately our ability to trust in God is built upon a foundation. It's built upon a foundation of who he is and what he's done. And we see a hint of this in verse 14. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Again in verse 20, our God will fight for us. Our God is a a God who is powerful to act and who cares for us. And ultimately, most clearly, most significantly, we see that in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came to earth to to live, to die and rise again in order to save us from our greatest opposition, from sin, from death and the devil. And to make a way for us to the destination that God has for us. We can trust in God knowing he is the God who acts in this way. Who comes to to meet us and to save us. We can pray knowing that it is the risen Jesus who hears us. We can act knowing that God firstly and decisively acted on our behalf. All of our acting flows from his action. He is our hope and our foundation and our confidence, whatever opposition we are facing. So you and I, brothers and sisters, are invited to trust him To bring him honestly our struggles and pain and to act knowing that God goes with us. This is an invitation. It's an invitation, not a burden. You know, this week I have, as I said, I've been feeling overwhelmed and I've not been good at this. I am preaching to myself, I am learning how to pray in the struggles that I'm facing, how to act, what next step step to take. The fact that I'm not there yet doesn't mean that God rejects me. We know that's not what God is like but this is an invitation to step into life and trust with God knowing that he'll work in us and through us. That he wants to take us on that next step and work with us and stand along beside us whatever opposition we're facing. And so perhaps as some of us take a first step together I'd love to pray and ask God to help us where we find ourselves so can we pray would you stand with me and I just like to just to pray briefly and quickly and if you are in a place where you are struggling then perhaps you can pray this for yourself if you know someone who is up against opposition perhaps you can pray for them but why don't we pray Lord Jesus, we know that you are not surprised by the situations that we find ourselves in, that you haven't forgotten us, that you know us and you love us and you are powerful and strong to to act with us and for us. And so God, we turn to you in the midst of the opposition we face. We ask you to help us to trust you. Help us to rely on you, to come to you honestly, bringing you our pain and our struggles. God, as we do that, perhaps now in our own hearts and minds, as you bring those struggles to God, as you ask for the things you long to see God do, God, would you hear us and move in power beyond what we could ask or imagine? And God, even as we pray, would you prompt us would you show us how we can take a first step? God, would you show us the places where you're already at work in our lives? And would you help us to move forwards with faithfulness and trust like our Savior Jesus? So Spirit of God, would you come and move in us now? Help us to trust. Help us to pray. Help us to act. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.